the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not the time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While Rachel, or while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone away, or rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So when Laban heard the news of his of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he said, and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel, and Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to, than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not the practice in our country or our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel, as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also 
And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the strength and power of your Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would see, that you would help us to see in this narrative the sovereign hand of God even among those who are the refuse of the culture. We pray that you would help us to see that that is us, but more than that, that Christ, through this narrative, is furthering the eternal purposes made in the covenant of redemption. We pray that you would be with us, Lord. Help us to hear, see, and understand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we continue now our study through the book of Genesis. And we come now to the 29th chapter of the book of Genesis, and it is a familiar one, is it not? We have again seen this before. There is again a man who is taking a long journey to Haran. In search of a bride, there is again a well. There is again a woman who has come to the well to draw water. Again, the woman is the cousin of the groom-to-be. In one story, the woman drew the water for the man. In this story, the man is drawing the water for the woman. Again, the woman runs home to tell her father. Again, the same Laban runs to meet the visitor. Again, the visitor is welcomed into the home. And again, subsequently, there is a marriage. Where have we seen all of this before? Brothers and sisters, the passage in Genesis chapter 29 is meant to be taken and placed adjacent to the passage found in Genesis chapter 24. You know well the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis, where Abraham sends his trusted servant to Haran, the place of his people. He sends him there to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And it was there that the trusted servant met Rebekah and brought her back to Canaan to be the bride of Isaac. The Lord would bless them with twins. Jacob and Esau. And now in the 29th chapter, we have learned that Jacob was sent by his father, Isaac, to find a wife among his mother's peoples. And the scriptures say the peoples 
of the East. Brothers and sisters, what are we to make of all of these similarities that we find between the 24th chapter and the 29th chapter? What are we to understand as we may see the many commonalities shared between these two chapters of the book of Genesis? I say to you this morning that it is not the similarities that we are to take note of, but rather it is the differences that we are to pay pay close attention to. The 24th chapter and the 29th chapter, they seem to be the same, but there is one outrageous difference between the two. And I wonder if you are able to spot it. What is the difference between these two chapters that have so much in common? This morning, with God's help, I pray that you see it. And this morning, with God's help, we will consider three points concerning Jacob being out-Jacobed. Now, I know that that's not a proper word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Jacob being out-Jacobed. Number one, Jacob's spiritual neglect. This is verses uh, 1 through 20. After the Lord appeared to Jacob in a vision at Bethel, it may have appeared as though all was now going well with Jacob. It may have appeared after the grand vision of the Lord as though Jacob's darkest days were behind him. And ahead of him lie only green pastures. Isn't that how we often felt when we were initially saved? That now the darkest days are behind me and behold, before me lie only green pastures. The Lord had given Jacob strength and provision to make the arduous 400 mile journey across the desert, across the land to the east. He has even crossed the great Euphrates River. And upon coming to the end of his journey, he has come upon a well. We would be right, I think, to assume that Jacob all too well knew the story of his mother meeting Abraham's servant. Where? At a well. Uh, And could it be that this was the very well that Abraham's servant met his mother at all of those years ago. Imagine traveling all of these miles and finally, after the long and difficult journey, coming upon a well. And could it be the very well that my mother met Abraham, my grandfather's servant? Could this be the well where his mother once came to draw water and where she was drawn back to Canaan? Jacob begins to inquire of the shepherds who were, at this point of the day, lounging at the well. And it was a most unusual time of the day. They have their shepherds, or they have their sheep that are gathering around this well. And Jacob is essentially encouraging them to get to work. He says to them, my brothers, where are you from? They say, we are from Haran. He says to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said to him, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? Is he doing well? And they said, it is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. 
Now, think about this. The encounter, it seems to be all too perfect. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you say, oh, perfect timing? It seems as though Jacob's uh, arriving on the scene is perfect timing. He has traveled a long journey. He has come upon this well, maybe the very same well that his mother met the servant of Abraham all of those years ago. What is more, he arrives at the exact same time where there are men. Men at this well, and these men know his uncle. Not only that, they are from the very place that he is going to. And they know his uncle. And not only that, but his uncle's daughter happens to be approaching him at the very time that he is there. And she is coming to water her sheep. There are so many, it seems, in the, in the way that the world would consider coincidences here, aren't there? Could it be that the Lord who has promised to keep Jacob and to be with Jacob wherever he went was showing evidence of his covenant promises? The answer is yes, and of course, the hand of the Lord was providentially ordering and orchestrating all of these events. But, but here is the problem. Jacob seems to be absolutely oblivious to the sovereign hand of God in all of these things. He, he almost seems confused, doesn't he? He asks the shepherds, Behold, it's still high day. It's not the time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep. Go. Pasture them. Do, do, do you see what Jacob has done? Jacob has, in a sense, rebuked the shepherds for not being at work. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here now. It's not time to water the, the sheep. You need to be working still. Water them and go. Or if you're here to water them, water them and get to work. What are you waiting around here for? Well, we remember there was a large stone over the well, wasn't there? And the shepherds have said, we can't water the sheep until... The rest of the shepherds have come to help us remove the large stone. And then we can go and water our sheep, and then we can go to back to work. But, Jacob, we know what we're doing. We're here for a reason. Jacob seems to be ignorant, though, to the providence of God. Jacob attributes the presence of these men not to God's providence, but to man's laziness. Get back to work. What are you doing here? You're, you're being lazy. Water your sheep and go. And it could very well be that these men were lazy. But he has a, arrived at the exact time of their laziness. This was no coincidence. Not in the least. It was the hand of God working all things together for good. It was the covenant Lord who was overseeing his word. Ensuring that all that he has said would come to pass. The shepherds uh, then point to Laban's daughter, Rachel. She is a shepherdess. And as Jacob sees Rachel approaching, he is thunderstruck. The scriptures describe her much like Jacob's mother. She was beautiful. 
The scriptures go so far as to say that she was beautiful in form and face. And in a moment of adrenaline, Jacob single-handedly rolls away the stone in order to water Rachel's flock. I wonder if you can see this in your mind's eye. He is absolutely uh, smitten by the appearance of Rachel. And he does a spectacular feat. He does what, what only a collection of shepherds do by committee. He alone rolls away a stone that is only meant to be rolled away by a collection of men. And Jacob does it single-handedly. I think that's what the old writers of the 80s might say. It was the power of love. He then kissed Rachel. This was the normal greeting of the day. And he lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob believes that he has not only found Haran, he has not only found Laban, but that he has also found his wife-to-be. Rachel, like her aunt Rebecca before her, ran home. She told Laban all of the news of Jacob, and then Laban runs to meet Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Laban remembers all of the riches that are attached to the name of Isaac. Laban this would be very uh, uh, taboo in this time for a man of Laban's age to run anywhere. Laban runs, <laughs> runs to Jacob as if he was uh, running to Santa Claus himself. He remembers the camels. He remembers the extravagant gifts and he is hoping that maybe now Jacob will be his meal ticket. But when he arrives, there are no camels there with Jacob. There are no gifts with Jacob. There's only Jacob, the worm, the swindler. There is only Jacob and the clothes on his back. Verse 13, then Jacob, listen to this, related all of these things. What things? What things is Jacob relating? All the things that have led to Jacob being there in Haran. It was the the, the most natural thing for Laban to ask Jacob, why are you here? And it would also be the most natural thing for Jacob to explain and communicate all of the things that have transpired that would have led him to Haran. And what was Laban's response? After he has heard all of these things, his response is this. Surely... You are bone of my flesh. (laughs) Interesting statement, is it not? This statement could simply mean that Laban recognized, yes, you are my nephew. Stay with me. Or it could also mean that Laban recognized that he and Jacob were cut from the same cloth. It could be that as Jacob recounted all that has taken place, the deception of his brother, The deception of his father, the animal's hair, the food for his father, all of the things that twisted Jacob has done. It could be that Laban somehow, in his own twisted mind, took delight in Jacob's story. For in Jacob, he saw a man 
that was the mirror image of himself. The twisted swindler loves to hear what another twisted swindler has done and says to him, you are bone of my flesh. You are just like me. I can remember being a young man and trying to fit in with the wrong crowds and hearing the wrong or hearing sinners talk about their sin and laughing together at the the joy and the pleasure that they found in their own sin. And it would seem as though Laban is doing the same at this moment, that he is taking pleasure in what Laban or what Jacob has communicated to Laban, all of the ways that he has swindled and deceived his family. After a month's time, Jacob appears to be working for Laban, but Laban would not allow his relative to work for free, or so he appears to be saying. He would not allow his relative who he does not own work for nothing. And so he seeks to turn his relative into an employee so that he might have some kind of ownership of him. And he says to him, what is your wage? What, what, do, what should I pay you as you work for me? He seeks to negotiate a wage. But Jacob has a different plan in mind. He wants the hand of Laban's daughter. Rachel and Jacob is willing to work an extreme amount of time in order to earn Rachel's hand in marriage. Rachel was the younger of Laban's two daughters. The older was named Leah. Now, the Bible says that Leah had weak eyes and there's much misunderstanding about what this might mean. Some commentators explain this to mean that she lacked the sparkle or fire in her eyes like Rachel did. I do not know what that means. Uh, it's amazing to me. In all of the commentaries that I read, they all said that she lacked sparkle, that she lacked fire, but none of them explained what that also meant. So I don't know what that means. But here's what we do know. She was not favored by Jacob. She was overlooked by Jacob. Jacob proposed a deal to Laban and says to him in verse 18, I will serve you seven years. Seven years for your daughter, Rachel. This has come out of Jacob's own mind. Let, let me just reiterate that. This was not something suggested by Laban. Oh, what do you think about my daughter? What if you maybe work for me for a year or two? This came out of Jacob's mind. I will work for you for seven years for her. You've got to imagine Laban being taken aback by this suggestion. You mean... You're going to work for free for seven years. It was twice and maybe three times as much as the normal wage of the day. Or he was going to be working for that much. You will allow me to use you as my employee for this woman, my daughter, for seven years. Jacob thought of this. Not, not, not Laban. Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it very clear that Jacob is requesting the younger daughter. Jacob wants the younger daughter. But here's the interesting thing about this younger daughter uh, statement. Jacob was the younger. Jacob believed that there was, uh, there was no uh, 
There was, there was no need for the younger to be favored over the older. Let me reverse that. The older to be favored over the younger. Jacob believed that that standard did not matter. And so, therefore, he comes to this foreign land, and he believes that he can overstep the culture of the day. That is, that the older shall be married first. He believes that that standard does not matter. It doesn't apply to him. That in the way that God has done things in his life, he can make that applicable to every person and in every situation. Not so. Jacob believes that he can have things his own way. That, that what God has purposed and what God, has, what God has, has set him forth on, the path that he set him forth, that those things don't matter. That he will have things his own way. Jacob believes that he can skip over the older daughter, that he can make what was a unique circumstance in his own life the norm in every culture. Laban shrewdly agrees. The scriptures say that these seven years seem to be but a few days because of Jacob's love for Rachel. I can remember when my father and I discussed my relationship with my now wife. My father said to me, wait two years. And I can remember saying to him, but that's forever. And he said, if you love her, you will wait for two years. That's exactly what I did. Little did he know that that year he would pass on, the year that I waited. And I kept my promise to him that even after he had passed, I did not say, cool, now we can get married uh, my dad is dead. Rather, we waited again another year. Imagine seven years. I can remember there have been people in this church and others, but especially in this church, I can speak of one, Brother Louis, who I've said, Brother, wait a year. And he did. And Brother Louis is an older man. He did not need to take that uh, if he didn't want, want to, but he showed that he was a man that was submissive, that he saw that there would be wisdom in that waiting. Imagine waiting seven years, but for Jacob, it was but a few days because of his great love that he had for Rachel. Everything is going well, according to Jacob. Uh, it would appear that he will be back in no time, back with his bride. And Esau would have calmed down by now and life can go on with this blessing. But Jacob will soon learn that things are not as easy or as promising as they seem. We get a hint of this when uh, we see this downward spiral of Jacob heading toward the peoples of the east. The land of the east was not a good place for someone to be. Almost every time we meet a reference of the east, there is usually something wrong. We read in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, that Cain went out of the Lord's presence and that he lived east of Eden. The east was a place for those of pride. We read in Genesis chapter 11, as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they would soon build a temple or tower in the honor of their own pride. The east is a place of materialism. We read that Lot chose for himself the well-watered land and set out towards Sodom and Gomorrah or towards the east. The east is a land of alienation even. We are told in Genesis chapter 26 when Abraham 
was still living, he gave gifts to his sons and sent them away to the land of the east. When we look at Jacob's life in the east, it is a time of hardship. And it was only when he goes back west, back to the promised land, that all begins to go well again in his life. This journey to Haran was meant to be a short stay, wasn't it? Jacob was meant to go there to let his brother's anger subside, to bring back a wife and to come back home and to uh, experience the blessings of God. And Jacob's mother called him to stay for a while, which translated is literally a few days. He was envisioning only a short stay and then a return with his new bride. But because of Jacob's neglect of God, Jacob will be facing 20 years of heartache, turmoil, and frustration. We know what's ahead of Jacob. Jacob has no idea. He believes that all is well. Dark days are behind him. But the east was not his biggest problem, was it? It is at this point that we must reconsider again and remember the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis. Brothers and sisters, when the servant of Haran, or when the servant of Abraham arrived in Haran, what was the first thing he did? The servant of Abraham prayed to the Lord. When the servant of Abraham was met by this woman at the well, what was he praying for? He was praying that the Lord would give him providential guidance and wisdom. When he found the daughter of Nahor, he began to pray and gave thanks to God that God had blessed his journey. Brothers and sisters, the servant of Abraham did not see what Jacob saw. The servant of Abraham did not receive this wonderful vision that, Abraham, that, that Jacob had received. And yet, without this vision... The servant of Abraham has evoked the name of God more times in three verses than Jacob has in this entire chapter. That is the outrageous difference. Not once has Jacob called upon the name of the Lord. That is the outrageous difference. Not once has he asked God to guide his feet. That is the outrageous difference. Not once has he asked the Lord to give him wisdom. That is the outrageous difference. All throughout this chapter, Jacob is simply relying upon his feelings. That is the outrageous mistake in Jacob's life. He has not so much thanked God for even bringing him and protecting him on this long journey. Not once. Jacob meets Rachel, and listen to this, he doesn't care what kind of woman she is. The servant of Abraham has been able to observe at least the character of Rebekah. We will learn more about her later, obviously, right? But at first glance, he sees what kind of woman she is. Jacob cares not what kind of woman that Rachel is. He only sees the exterior, and it is the exterior that makes him believe she's the one. He acts only upon his flesh. He has, uh, having her set 
on his heart and does not even ask the Lord, is this the woman that you have given me to build the nation that will bless the nations? And Jacob utterly leaves God out of his plans and decision making. Let me ask you this. Was he converted? Yes. Was he perfected? No. And how can I say such a thing? Because how often have we acted? How often have we made plans? How often have we carried out those plans? How often have we faced and suffered the consequences of all of the plans that we have devised on our own? Because we did not take the time to seek the wisdom and counsel of the Lord. All of us. All of us. How many times have we simply gone about the business of our daily lives only to neglect our desperate need to beseech the Lord and ask Him to be with us? When, dear ones, was the last time that you prayed for God's guidance and God's direction before you acted? Rather than acting and praying that the Lord would clean up all of the mistakes that you and I have made. You see, Jacob appears to have neglected the stone of Bethel. That place where God met him. And he is now relying upon the stone, the stone of his own strength. Moses is showing us that Jacob has moved from the stone that was his place of worship and memorial to the stone that he has shifted by his own energy, by his own power, and by his own ingenuity. We know that God will be with Jacob, for he has promised such. But he will be disciplined. He will be tested. He will be changed. Surely and painfully, God will make this worm the prince that he has created him to be. But this transformation, listen to this. It will take longer than a few days that Jacob planned on. God will transform Jacob. But it will take longer than a few days that Jacob had planned on. Sanctification is not a work that is ever, ever done overnight. It is a long journey. It is a long journey when it, where, where we learn what it means to die to ourselves and to take up the cross of Christ and to follow him. Dying to self. Brothers and sisters, that is a long hard difficult road the lord perfects us over many years of discipline not just over days and through those disciplines he promises to be with us through it all dear ones what stone has been set up in your life today is it the stone of worship and dedication or is it the stone of pride and self-assurance? Jacob would learn through many tears and through many years what it means to die to himself. And we are learning that today as well, are we not? How do we learn it? Let's go to our second point. Jacob out jacob Verse 21 through 30. Laban was a serial deceiver. You've heard of serial killers. 
Jacob was a serial deceiver. He appears in Genesis chapter 24 when he was met by Abraham's servant. During the conversation that Laban had with Abraham's servant, he noticed something about the servant of Abraham. And it was this, that Abraham's servant often used the name of the Lord. And so Laban, being the deceiver that he was, also used the name of the Lord. And we can be fooled and tricked into thinking that Laban is also a believer. He's using the name of the Lord. No, he is simply uh, becoming to the one that he wants to deceive something like him in order to make him feel comfortable. He was not a believer. He used whatever methods he could so that he might in some way gain an upper hand. When camels rode away, the first time Laban was very proud of himself, believing that he had somehow gained the upper hand. And this time, Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Laban has believed that he has also gained the upper hand against Jacob. Unaware, the sovereign hand of the Lord was actually orchestrating all of these things. uh, Laban thought it was actually his hand. And he was unaware that it was the sovereign hand of the Lord that was actually ordering all of these things. He goes along with Jacob's plan and sees it as a perfect opportunity to gain free labor from his nephew. Jacob works and the scriptures describe those seven years as being but days because of Jacob's great love for Rachel. But he will soon learn that this is not the happy ending that he was dreaming of. It appears as though Jacob needed to pursue Laban about keeping the end of his deal. He says uh, in verse 21, give me my wife. For my time is completed that I may go into her. It may appear as though Laban was was not keeping his end of the bargain or at least delaying Jacob's work so that Jacob could continue working for free. Jacob pursues him. The time is up. It's past time, possibly. So Laban agrees and he prepares the wedding feast. This wedding feast would have been a long, week-long celebration. And the first night was the night when the bride and the groom were brought together and where their marriage was consummated. At the end of the first night of ceremony and celebration, Laban brings Jacob his new bride. Now, it would have been dark. Of course, there would have been torches. Of course, there would have been fires, but not enough to light the entire area. The bride would have been veiled, as was the custom of that day. And Jacob would have most likely been intoxicated because of the celebration. All of these things play a factor into this. His bride comes into his tent, and he lays with her that night. It was what Jacob, for seven years, had worked to achieve. She was finally his. The night passes And when Jacob wakes in the morning, he turns to greet his new bride, to embrace her, to hold her. And behold, it is not his beloved Rachel at his side. It is the older sister with weak eyes, Leah. Jacob was in shock, and understandably so. 
he marches and maybe races over to Laban and demands an explanation and says ironically, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Here's the, the irony. Why then have you deceived me? People have asked Jacob that question before, haven't they? Imagine that. The deceiver is deceived. Jacob has been out Jacobed. Laban sarcastically, it would seem, answers, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. It was like salt on an open wound. Why? Laban knows what Jacob did in Canaan. How do we know that? Jacob told him all these things. But he would not get away with that in Padam Aram. It was as if he was, it was as if he was saying, I, I know what you got away with back home, but this is my house. And we do things differently around here. Nice try. Jacob has met his match, literally. He is, Laban, he is what Jacob used to be. And Jacob realizes that he is looking at who he never wants to be again. He is, as it were, getting a taste of his own medicine. And I wonder, dear ones, if you notice what God was doing through it all. God was using Laban. How? Uh, one theologian said, Laban was the medicine that God used to bring Jacob to an understanding of what brought him so far away from home. Laban was God's medicine that, that God would use to show Jacob, this is what has caused you to be exiled from home. He seems to give him a taste of what he was to show Jacob the sin that must be killed in him. Another theologian has said to the, to the perverse, you use, he uses the perverse to bring them back to himself. God appears to be showing Jacob himself. Jacob, this was you. God was putting a mirror in front of Jacob's face, the mirror of Laban. And showing him, as it were, this is who you were, and this is not who you will be any longer. Die to yourself. Trust upon me. Just as Jacob used his father's blindness to deceive him, so Laban used the darkness of night and the veil of a bride to blind Jacob and to deceive him. Just as Rachel used Jacob, or just as Rebecca used Jacob as her pawn in deception, so Laban now uses his daughters, for they could not have been utterly unaware, as pawns in his own game of deception. And yet, God was using all of this deception to further his eternal purposes. God used deceit, yes. Uh, di didn't God... Use Jacob's deceit? Yes. God used deceit. Didn't God use Abraham's adultery? God used deceit. Well, didn't God use the Jews' hatred for Jesus? 
It is not to say that those things were good, but God would work all things together for good. God, of course, did not cause these to sin. They've sinned out of their own free choice. But God would use and employ their sin to bring about his eternal purposes. Brothers and sisters, it was a wake-up call for Jacob. Wake up, Jacob. Do you see how you have been dependent upon yourself all of this time, Jacob? Do you see how you've ignored my word and ignored even my visitation to you? Do you see how blind you've been? How self-reliant you've been? Did I not meet you at Bethel? Did I not show you the ladder connecting heaven and earth? Jacob, why have you disconnected? Oh, and how many times have we been awoken to our own foolishness when our sin is finally put right in front of our face? The times that we have neglected and ignored what God has commanded, they all come flashing back in our minds and we are, we are ashamed, are we not? It was in this moment that Jacob realized just what kind of fool he was. Or did he? I say to you, he did not. How do we know he did not? I'll tell you in a moment. Brothers and sisters, we cannot simply depend upon how we feel and trust that how we feel is how God is making us feel. Therefore, whatever actions we choose therefore is God making us feel that way so all of our actions are therefore justified. I hope you understand what that means. That means this. I don't know if my heart is in doing what God has said. Instead, maybe I'll wait until my heart feels right to, in order to obey God's word. Do you see the, 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 the foolishness in that? Do you, do you see the, the absolute sinfulness in that? Jacob has ignored God. And he is only dependent upon his feelings. Jacob has let his feelings be his guide rather than God's word be his guide. And now he has found himself in a situation that he would have never chosen for himself, but that God has chosen for him. Maybe if he would have prayed, Lord, is this the one that you have, are connecting me to or uniting me to? He would have maybe avoided seven years and then another seven. But he did not do that. Rather, he goes upon how he feels. He trusts in himself. He is wise in his own eyes. Our confession in chapter 19, paragraph 6, states, Although true believers... Uh, be not under the law as a covenant of works, to be therefore justified or condemned, yet it is the law of great use to them as well as others, in that as a rule of life, informing them of the will of God and their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly, God's word, discovering also the sinful pollution of their natures, hearts and lives, so as examining themselves thereby, they come to further conviction of, humiliation for, and hatred against sin, together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Jacob was humiliated. 
I'm not sure if he was yet convicted. But he did see right in front of Jake, in front of his face in Laban, what his sin looked like, and he hated it. Laban tells him, finish off the week, that is, finish off the festival, finish off the festivities, and then work for another seven years and you can have her. Fourteen years in total. And Jacob has not yet seen the very thing he should have seen in this moment. And it's this, finally, third and finally, Jacob and God's sovereign choice. These are the final verses of the chapter. Brothers and sisters, Jacob has come to Haran. The Lord interrupted his sleep with a heavenly vision of angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bridge between heaven and earth. God has covenanted with Jacob. He has covenanted to bring Jacob to the land of Canaan, to multiply his descendants, and that through his seed, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. God has promised that he would be with Jacob wherever he went, that he would bring him back to the land of promise, that he would not leave him until all that he had promised to come to pass. All that Jacob, therefore, set his hand to do would be providentially ordered and orchestrated by the Lord. There would be no thing that God's hand was not sovereignly conducting in Jacob's life. Henceforth, Jacob was to view all things through the lens of the promises of God. He was to see all things through God sovereignly working out all of his covenant promises in his life. And Jacob neglected that responsibility. Again, he acted upon his own senses. He leaned upon his own wisdom and did not depend upon the guidance of the Lord and suffer the consequences because of his neglect. But listen to this. Jacob has learned the lesson in the manner that most of us, if not all of us, have learned. And that is we've learned things the hard way. Jacob has been deceived not in question but the hand of Laban was not the only hand at work when Jacob awoke in the morning and saw Leah laying next to him rather than Rachel something should have clicked in his own soul that did not click Jacob has neglected to see that what has just transpired was not just Laban's part it was God's part. We focused much on Rachel, haven't we? Oh, poor Rachel. Oh, poor Jacob as well, even. But he was deceived. And now this poor woman has to wait another seven years, 14 years in total to, to have her man. And for Jacob to have his woman. Rachel was the one that Jacob loved at first sight. But he was only driven by sight. He was not driven by the sight of God's will. The Bible says Rachel was beautiful in form and face, and so Jacob chose her. Leah's eyes were weak. But dear ones, God chose her. God chose Leah. Leah. 
to be the one to fulfill the covenant promises of God. When Jacob was sent to Haran, he was sent there to marry Leah. Not Rachel. And it was this fact that Jacob overlooked when he turned over and saw Leah laying next to him and not Rachel. His immediate response should have been, Lord, this is your will. But rather, he fights God's will. And instead of submitting to God's will, that this is the will of the Lord, he goes back to Laban and says, let's try this again. The Lord had used Laban's deceit to bring about his covenant promises. But Jacob would not learn this lesson, not for another seven years, but for another seven years, 20 years in total, Jacob would be fighting against the will of God. He was more blind than his father, Isaac, when Isaac was deceived. When Isaac was deceived, what happened to him? The Bible says that he shook. He feared the Lord. Uh, Isaac, when he realized that it was Jacob who received the blessing and not Esau, his eyes were open and he knew that Jacob was the one that God had sovereignly chosen to fulfill his promises through. He yielded to the eternal truth that this was the will of God to be done and that no one can thwart the plans of God. But this eternal truth was not accepted by Jacob. Jacob rejected this eternal truth. He fights the will of God. He will wrestle with God until God makes him who he created him to be. He would resist the providence of God, fight God's plans for 20 years, 21 in total. This twisted man will become even more entangled in his own knot of self-reliance until it is finally wrestled out of him by the only one who can untwist our knots, the Lord God Almighty. The name of the Lord is absent all throughout this chapter. But as been said before and again and again, God is most on the field even when he is most invisible. Rachel was Jacob's choice, but Leah was God's choice. And oh, what a shameful and disappointing husband Jacob becomes. Men, can I say that to you again? Those of you who have wives, what a shameful and disappointing husband Jacob becomes. How so? Let me say to you, do not take your cues on how to husband your wives from Jacob. We can almost feel the pain of poor Leah, who wants nothing more than for her husband, listen, to love her. That's it. She's described as unloved. Another version says that Leah was hated by Jacob. Not, not that he mistreated her per se, but she knew that she was not the one whom he loved, not the one whom he desired. She was viewed by the culture of her day as having weak eyes or not being as beautiful. She was used by her father as a pawn in this deception. Her week of celebration was spoiled by the fact that her husband never wanted her to begin with. And now she must suffer not only another seven years, but another 14 years with a man who does not want her. 
Imagine the next seven years. All he has is his eyes on Rachel. I've got to work for Rachel. Hardly ever home because he's working to get Rachel. Our hearts may break for Leah. We read in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Rachel's womb is closed. Leah's womb is opened. uh, Leah's firstborn, uh, Leah has Jacob's firstborn son. This would give her the honor and status, honor and status in their community. And what is more, Leah is, the unloved wife, is the one who testifies to the faithfulness of the Lord. In verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, surely now, what? Surely now my husband will love me. When Leah bears the second son, she again acknowledges the Lord. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated. He's given me this son also, and she named him Simeon. Then she bears a third son and says, now, this time my husband will be joined to me because I have borne him three sons. Do you hear her, her sadness? She names her son Levi. Leah, the rejected one by her husband, though, seems to have learned over time that her true husband truly does love her. She seems to learn that her true husband has not only ordered all of these things, but that he will remain committed to her like no man ever could. Therefore, she conceived again and bore a son. And here's what she says. This time. I love that part. This time. I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she ceased bearing. I love that. I can't depend on him. I'm stopping my pursuit of him wanting me, loving me, needing me. I'm done. I will turn to the one who has always loved me. I will turn to the one who has always loved me before the foundation of the world. I will turn to him. This time, I will praise the Lord. She has learned what her husband has not yet learned. She has learned that God is with her, that he's always been with her, that he has loved her like no one could ever love her, and that he is furthering all of his promises, and that he has lovingly elected to include her, the one hated, the one refused, in his eternal purposes. Eternal purposes? She's the mother of Judah. She's the mother of those who will become the priests in God's home. The Levites. Moses will come from her. Leah, the unwanted, the unloved wife, gives birth to the forebearers of four most important tribes in Israel. And again, she's the mother of Judah. This will be the royal line. From Judah will come David. From Judah will come Solomon. And ultimately will come the Lord Jesus Christ. We read this passage and we think, Rachel, right? Rachel, the the, the barren one who will eventually bear Joseph. And maybe that's the... No, it is Leah, the unloved one, that the Christ will come through. It is the one that Jacob has rejected, that God has selected. 
to be the one through whom all of his covenant promises would be furthered through. Brothers and sisters, God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. Listen to, to the, the, the wording. God uses the weak things. Who had weak eyes? God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. The eternal one eternally decreed to take on flesh, to come as one of his created dust bearers. He has chosen a servant girl from Bethlehem, Mary. He has chosen a lowly carpenter, Joseph. He has chosen to attach his name to a despised town, Nazareth. God has chosen a tax collector, Matthew and Zacchaeus. Simple fishermen, Simon, Peter and Andrew. A religious Pharisee, Nicodemus and Paul. He has chosen to live a life that we could never live. To die on our behalf. Depraved you and me. Why do we deserve this? We don't. And he has risen from the dead. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you place your faith in him alone, here's, here's another foolish thing. He counts his life as your own. And takes your sinful life as his. For those who place their faith in Christ, he will be your true husband. Even though you may be hated by the many, you can praise the Lord. Because you are no longer of the world. Dear ones, don't lose sight of the sovereign hand of God in all things. Seek him. Ask for his wisdom. Ask that his word be a light to your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not rely upon your feelings to be your guide. Look to him, the only sovereign one, to take you by the hand, to guide your path. Let's pray.